meeting folks at 3 a.m. and uh, hiking in the dark by headlamp for a number of hours and watching the sun come up and then climbing 10 pitches of rock and descending via multiple rappels and then hiking back out. So a day can last in the mountains anywhere from, uh, you know, eight hours to 20 hours. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode number 28, Russell Hunter, Rock Climbing and Mountaineering. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today we have a special guest from the Colorado Mountain School, Russell Hunter, is the sales and marketing manager there, but don't let that shake you. He is a rock climbing and mountaineering enthusiast and guide. He's been in the outdoors industry now for 21 years, and he worked for many years at Knowles, and uh, having grown up in Massachusetts, he fell in love with the outdoors through scouting, Boy Scouts, and actually got to take a trip between his 6th and 7th grade to the Pyrenees Mountains, where he realized that that was his true passion. So, Russell, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, I gave a brief sketch to the listeners, but will you take a few minutes to tell the listeners about yourself and about your connection to um, mountaineering and, and guiding? Uh, yeah, well, uh, let's see, like you mentioned, it started when I was in Boy Scouts and, and probably even before that, just, uh, growing up, running around on a farm and outdoors, um, just being outside a lot. But yeah, in Boy Scouts, we had the opportunity to take some really amazing trips. The trip of a lifetime through the Pyrenees Mountains, uh, that you mentioned and we got to climb this mountain called Monte Perdido, and I remember just climbing to the top and being terrified and almost in tears, and someone behind me, an older scout, was like, you can do this, Russell, come on, you can do this, and then getting to the top, that was really my first big summit, and it uh, it just blew me away. And then, so, you know, just spent time in scouts, and then through uh, high school and college, didn't do much outdoors, played college football, and was into sports and teams that way. And then after college, I uh, had a job as an accountant, and quickly into that job, I realized that was not what I wanted to be doing, and somehow I got it in my brain that I wanted to be involved in teaching outdoors. I think I had a friend who had taken a Knowles course, and he was showing me pictures one day of his, of his trip, and somehow I made the connection that if he was a student on this trip, that someone was working and someone was teaching, and, and I realized that's what I wanted to do. So I've been uh, working in this industry uh, for a while now, and uh, I love being outdoors. I love sharing the outdoors with people, and I love adventuring myself. So that's that's kind of a little bit about my connection and how I got into it. Colorado Mountain School leads a variety of different types of outdoors trips. Um, we're primarily talking about rock climbing, mountaineering today, but tell us a little bit about your guiding that you do with, with the Colorado Mountain School. Yeah, so I started with the Colorado Mountain School as a uh, mountain guide in 2007, and the the majority of our schooling and trips uh, are in the mountains. So rock climbing, mountaineering, ice climbing, backcountry skiing, avalanche education, 
and uh, we climb all over. Uh, in the Boulder area, we climb in Boulder Canyon, the Flatirons, and El Dorado Canyon. CMS, Colorado Mountain School, is the sole concessionaire for technical guiding in Rocky Mountain National Park. So that's another one of our big classrooms, and we climb alpine routes up there, Long's Peak, uh, snow and ice. And then we also climb rock on uh, Lumpy Ridge, which is part of Rocky Mountain National Park, just outside of, outside of Estes Park. And then we have also uh, have an expedition program where we do expeditions to South America and Mexico and uh, up in Alaska. So I've had the opportunity to travel to Mexico and Alaska with Colorado Mountain School, working on bigger mountains and in the Alaska Range. So you've done climbing in South America. You said the Alaska Range. Um, sounds like some big mountain stuff. Where'd you go in South America? Uh, well, actually, uh, just Mexico, as far south as I've been. So Orizaba, which is uh, the tallest volcano in Mexico, uh, Pico de Orizaba, and a mountain called Ixta down there. So what about Popocatépetl, you know, Mount Popo down there near Mexico City? Have you been on that one? When I was down there climbing, it was uh, steaming and uh, very active. So, yeah, no one climbs on that these days, it seems like. Getting on a volcano that might belch a whole bunch of carbon dioxide or sulfuric gas on top of you doesn't sound like a, a plan. Yeah, no, it's not the best risk management strategy. <laughs> okay. Well, Russell, why would you encourage people to try um, mountaineering and climbing? Yeah, uh, I, I think the sport is... It offers a lot for people. I think uh, being outdoors in the mountains has a has a power. The mountains are, are powerful, and, and I think people are drawn to them. And, and then to learn how to adventure in them and play in them safely, I think, is just really empowering because it, it gives you uh, a lot of freedom. And, and there's kind of the Bible of mountaineering is called Freedom of the Hills. And uh, it, it's really it really gives you that, that freedom to explore and adventure places that not everybody gets to see, and, and I think uh, the mountains reward people for the effort, and, and some of the most amazing experiences I've had in my life, some of the most amazing sights uh, I've seen have been in the mountains. So I, I think it allows people to connect with uh, Mother Nature. There's a whole physical aspect of climbing and mountaineering. It's just get your heart beating and uh, breathing hard, and it's, it's full-body exercise, so I think there's a lot of value just as far as physical well-being. Uh, the challenges that people face in the mountains are, are very real, and I think the, the experience of learning to deal and, and overcome those challenges, it's a great opportunity to apply to everyday life. You know, I think the mountains are, are a good metaphor for uh, overcoming challenges in life, and, and, and they're real challenges in the mountains. Uh, it's fun. It's just it's, it's pretty fun being able to uh, climb, hike, ski, just to play in the mountains. It's, uh, it's just pure joy. So those are some of the main reasons I would encourage people to, to get out and enjoy the mountains. So how good a shape does someone have to be in before they can start uh, mountaineering? Uh, you know, not, not great shape necessarily. Mountaineering is a, it's a very slow sport. So it's less about, um, quickness and athleticism. It's, it's really just about endurance and the ability to continue, uh, which ends up becoming quite a mental challenge. And so I've taken people that have, uh, 
not exercise a long time. And as long as you just take a nice slow pace, uh, people can start, start small and still climb a mountain. But, uh, yeah, fitness is certainly if you're going to climb bigger mountains and bigger objectives, then fitness becomes more and more important. But to, to enjoy them for the first time, uh, someone that is less than fit should not feel intimidated. One of the things that I love about all adventure sports, but mountaineering is a really good example, is when people realize they want more out of life and maybe they're a little bit out of shape, um, the adventure sport can become the motivation, you know, to get going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and certainly. I think mountaineering would be really good that way um, just because, like you said, I think people that are not in excellent shape can still do it, and as they do it, they get in better and better shape, you know, yep. and, and it motivates that that action i mean the reward you know you get on a stationary bike and stare at a piece of drywall for 45 minutes i i don't know <laughs> it, it's hard to do but you get on a trail and you see the views you see the wildlife you see the you know the flowers and the trees and you feel the breeze in your face i don't know for me it, it's a magnet yep yeah and I, and I think that uh many people feel the same way kurt and i just think that's the the power of the mountains i guess it's easy to be distracted by the beauty of mountains it it's uh it's easy to take your mind off the hurt that sometimes accompanies mountaineering well hey tell us a story of a really amazing mountaineering experience that you had that kind of hooked you on the sport you already mentioned um as a kid uh, being in the pyrenees but take us there tell us uh you know what was what were the views like the weather what did it feel like that sort of stuff. Yeah, I just remember uh, the Pyrenees being uh, mind-blowing. Uh, you know, we had prepared for the Pyrenees in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and, and they're certainly uh, beautiful and spectacular, but the Pyrenees were kind of a different scale. And, uh, you know, I remember there was some, uh, we were in, uh, I had a buddy, my friend Hans Hollister, we shared a tent, and and everybody had tents that were uh, suitable for the mountains, and we had this big, uh, basically, uh, a, not an A-frame, but just a, a walled tent that was just really not suitable for the mountains. And I remember we got blasted by weather one night, and uh, it tore down our tent, and it's flapping <laughs> around, and our friends had to come rescue us, and we had to run into another tent. So it was really the, the first time in my life where I had uh, been part of the energy of mountain storms. And now it's those are some of my most favorite times is just in powerful mountain storms because it's uh, you feel really small, you know. Kind of puts a person in their place, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, but I just remember this, this the climb of Monte Perdido and and just being terrified. We were climbing steep snow uh, up above tree line, way above tree line, so you can see for huge vast distances. And I, I just remember ice axes and crampons and. Uh, being amazed at what we were doing, but just terrified at the same time and, and almost in tears, I'm sure. And I remember just uh, being encouraged. And I, I think it was that it was that encouragement that uh, really stuck with me. And then the, the whole reason we were in the Pyrenees is we had a, an assistant scoutmaster had uh, died suddenly. And unfortunately, he fell in the shower. And his family... Uh, donated a bunch for us to take this trip and then we also raised a bunch of money but on top of this mountain after having this profound kind of personal struggle and experience we had this uh ceremony for ken keys was the guy's name and i just uh it just blew me away you know to 
to have that connection with a group of people that were my friends, to be celebrating and, and remembering someone's life in this, you know, I, here I was, I don't know how old, 12 years old in a different country across the sea. I was just blown away. Uh, and, and I think that just, that experience somehow stuck with me on a really deep inside spiritual level so that when I kind of reintroduced myself to the mountains probably 10 years later after college, it just, uh, quickly uh, reawoken, which was pretty neat. So you grew up back east. When did you come to Colorado? I moved to Colorado in 1996 after uh, leaving my accounting job. My brother was a student at the University of Colorado, and my mom went to school here, so we had come out to visit. And I I think, again, the mountains just drew me out this way. And, uh, yeah, I found myself back at school. That was kind of my excuse was I was going back to school for a, a, a different degree, but it was really the mountains, and, and I dropped out of school a year later and started teaching Knowles courses. Well, it sounds like a a good move. I tell you what, I love the mountains myself, and, and to be able to follow your passions like that. Um, tell us a little bit about that. There are so many people that would love to chase their passions as a career, as a vocation, and you managed to do that. Uh, what words of advice might you have for us? Uh, let's see. Um... Trust your gut. Trust your gut and follow your heart. Uh, when I was working as an accountant, I enjoyed the work and there was some excitement to it. You know, it was my first job out of college, but just uh, there was a there was kind of an aching in my gut that this wasn't the right place for me. And somehow uh, I was able to listen to my heart and know that the mountains was where it was kind of drawing me and, and working with people. And, and I remember when I was telling people at my job that I was uh, I was going to be leaving to go pursue outdoor education. Uh, it happened more than once. People said to me, "Oh, you know, I would love to do what you're doing, but I'm stuck here." And you know, whether they were stuck because they uh, had a mortgage or uh, felt like a family had them kind of stuck. It just that really uh, that that's that stuck with me. You know that. That that kind of grabbed hold of me of of that feeling of feeling stuck and um, so so don't feel stuck and just it's scary right like to make a big change like that uh, and and I was fortunate enough you know I was young and debt free so I was able to take a little bit of a risk but it's um, I think it's important to follow one's heart and do something that they're passionate about and it's neat you know in my job now I, I get a lot of a lot of emails and phone calls of uh, and resumes sent to me of people in similar situations where they're, they've been doing something for a while, maybe of a career, and it just doesn't work with them. And they've spent time outdoors, and they're like, "I want to. I want my passion to be my work, and my work, my passion." And I just feel really fortunate that I've been able to do that for uh, a couple decades now. It's uh, it all blends, you know. When I'm at work, it feels like I'm playing and when I'm playing it feels like I'm at work so it's there's no boundaries which I've enjoyed in my life for sure that's a beautiful thing man um talk to us a little bit about what you do as a guide so what what's your typical guiding experience like oh uh it's definitely varied over my career you know I spent uh close to 10 years guiding expeditions so getting with a group of strangers and a couple co-workers and going into the mountains for a month at a time uh, at Colorado Mountain School here in Colorado I get the opportunity to opportunity to go guide 
and then come home and uh, be with my family and take hot showers and cook standing up on four burner stoves. Uh, you know, a typical day in the mountains these days, uh, if I'm out in the mountains, is usually meeting clients at eight, uh, introducing myself, telling people about the day, and then going to either teach skills or to climb an objective. Some of my days start early if I'm going to be climbing in the mountains, uh, especially here in Colorado. Early starts in the summertime are really important for avoidance of uh, electrical storms. So oftentimes you're meeting folks at 3 a.m. and uh, hiking in the dark by headlamp for a number of hours and watching the sun come up and then climbing 10 pitches of rock and descending via multiple rappels and then hiking back out. So a day can last in the mountains anywhere from, uh, you know, eight hours to 20 hours. So those are, those are typical days. And, and my job these days is uh, in the office. So uh, I wake up at 6.30 and drive for 20 minutes and sit behind a, a desk for most of the day. Uh, I get to go guide uh, this Friday. I'll take a couple clients of mine up the first flat iron. So it's still, uh, I still get to get out in the mountains, and, and I miss being out every day, just making my livelihood that way. But uh, when I was, it was it's varied. You know, each day is different, and I never know when I start the day exactly what it's going to look like, and, and that's always a treat. Very fun. So you said 10 pitches, multiple repels, early start, high altitude. I'm thinking diamond route, Long's Peak. Uh, yeah, but even other, uh, other areas like the Petit Rapon, uh, Shark's Tooth, you know, when it's all said and done, you might be doing, uh, six to eight long pitches and, and shorter pitches on the approach and descent. So yeah, all of those areas in, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park can be long days like that. Uh, there's a couple routes over on Lumpy Ridge that are in that, uh, six to eight pitch range. It sounds like your guiding is often on fairly technical stuff then. Yeah, we do, uh, we do a fair amount of technical objectives, and, and, and not, not everybody is coming to do that. We, we really get the gamut at the Colorado Mountain School. We get the people that are just learning that want to uh, develop some skills. We get intermediate-level folks that have some skills and are trying to advance those, and then we get folks that are quite good climbers and quite experienced that just maybe are here for a short amount of time so they don't want to spend time figuring out the area. They just want to hire a guide and, and be taken somewhere so that all the logistics and decision-making are taken care of. Tell us a story about a time that things didn't go right. We always ask this because, for one, it usually makes a great story because you're here to tell us about it. We know it has a happy ending. But also because uh, people learn a lot from hearing what others did to get out of a bind. So... What do you have for us? Well, uh, you know, when I was thinking about this question, it, it was a little bit tricky because I, I feel really fortunate in my uh, years of climbing that I haven't had anything too epic happen. You know, some of the more uh, challenging times have, have been based around the weather. Uh, there's been a couple times where I've been chased off mountains by lightning, just found myself uh, really high up and exposed and then lightning storm rolls in uh, so quickly that I've, uh, I've, I've been chased off and, and ran down mountains uh, as quickly as possible a handful of times. I've been uh, caught out in some storms that have been quite significant. Uh, on a personal trip with some friends up in Alaska, we 
So maybe over a course of three days, had about 10 feet of snow drop on us. And every hour of every day for about those three days, one of us had to be outside shoveling to keep our tent from getting buried. And finally, towards the end of the storm, all three of us were shoveling like mad for hours before our tent just was eaten by the snow and disappeared. Uh, so that, that was probably the hairiest time in the mountains for me. The, the closest that I felt to uh, not getting home, you know, for me going to the mountains is all about coming home because uh, then I get an opportunity to go do that again. And, and that time in Alaska in that storm was probably the, the one time where I felt, uh, is this going to turn out well? And, and fortunately it did. Uh, you know, we just, we kept on doing what we needed to do to survive. We didn't panic. We worked together as a team. Uh, we were trained and, and experienced, uh, and, and fortunately it worked out well. So it's, it's usually the weather that uh, turns things bad, uh, in my experience in the mountains. Yeah, the weather can really be an adversary, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And it seems as though uh, the bigger the mountains, the, the harsher the weather. You know, it's the weather that brings the experience, though, as well. It doesn't have to be bad weather. It can be glorious weather. But it just seems like that's what's so nice. You know, you can look at a book and see a beautiful picture and say, wow, that's really something. But if you're there and the weather is is uh, interacting with you, you know, it's bringing stuff and sending stuff and, and changing the whole dynamic, it's it's living it instead of looking at it, you know? Oh, yeah, you're in it, right? Yeah. I can't yeah. imagine. So how many days did you have to shovel? Uh, about three days. Wow. It seemed like uh, that we were, yeah, shoveling constantly. <laughs> oh man, how exhausting that must have been. Yeah, it was pretty exhausting, but you know, it, it, you'd catch little naps. You know, when it was your turn to shovel, you'd be out shoveling for an hour, and then when you came in the tent, your buddy would go out, and then you would take half an hour just getting undressed, and then you'd catch a hour, hour and a half nap, and then you'd have to start getting dressed for another half hour and, and be out for your shift. <laughs> for for 72 hours, I think I would be I'd be done. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you you just you can't be, uh, you just can't be. You have to you have to find that deep spot that allows you to keep going, and we and we all have it. You know, you read these stories of people surviving these just the most amazing epic mountain adventures, and I just think as as human beings, we all have a a very strong will to live, and and the mountains sometimes allow you to to find that will. It's kind of cool, scary. You know, very scary, but also uh, special in its own way. You remind me of a lot of experiences I've had, I, regretfully too many, but <laughs> it's it really is true what you're saying there. And I think people, until they experience that, they find that part of themselves that says, no, I am going to keep going here. Um, it's powerful. Oh, yeah. And it, and it applies to the rest of life. It's not just exactly. when, you're, when you're out doing some sport. I mean, it's it's when work gets too grueling or you go through a family crisis or you name it. I mean, it, it, it says, you know what? I've been through worse. I can do this. Yep. Underwater Fantasies is your full-service scuba, snorkel, and travel center. We are a PADI five-star facility with an on-site indoor heated pool. 
We teach scuba classes several times a month from beginner to professional level certifications. Once you're certified, join us on one of our group trips or let us help you plan your own tropical getaway. Call us at 303-988-6725 or find us online at www.uwfantasies.com. That's U-W-P-H-A-N-T-A-S-E-A-S.com. Enjoy something wild next winter. Enjoy a dog sledding vacation with Wintergreen Dog Sled Lodge in the beautiful Boundary Waters Wilderness near Ely, Minnesota. For over 30 years, Wintergreen has provided lodge-to-lodge dog sled vacation packages and dog sled camping adventures for people of all ages. No experience needed. Warm clothing and boots are provided. Mush your own team of Wintergreen's handsome and friendly Eskimo dogs on scenic Northwoods trails, accompanied by Wintergreen's expert guides. You'll be in good hands with Wintergreen. National Geographic has rated it best in the business. Visit dogsledding.com for details. What about a funny story about being in the outdoors, rock climbing or mountaineering? Uh, a funny story. I guess the one that uh, I was thinking about as I thought about this, my wife and I were taking a walk before I, uh, I spoke with you, Kurt, and we were, uh, she was helping me. We've been on a lot of adventures together, and we took our honeymoon. We got married a year and a half ago, and we took our honeymoon to uh, Europe, and uh, we had the opportunity to go on some climbing adventures, and, and one of them was in Chamonix. And when you when you climb in Chamonix, it's you have to coordinate the whole climbing, but then you also have the logistical challenge of uh, catching buses out of town, catching teleferiques, which are the trams up into the mountains. Uh, so you have to coordinate a bunch of stuff before you even get to the climb. And you know, it's our honeymoon, so uh, I didn't really feel like waking up too early. And I was like, oh no, babe, we'll be okay. You know, we can catch the the second or the third uh, tram, not the first one. And, and so we slept in a little bit and then caught a tram, and uh, I ran into a, a guide who, you know, I've read one of his books, and so we started talking, and I was telling him I was a little bit nervous that maybe we were cutting it too short. Because if, if, you, if you miss the last tram, then you're, you're walking down the mountain, which, <laughs> yeah, which, which in, in Chamonix is, uh, you know, 1,500 meters, so... Uh, 4,000 plus feet. So uh, we were doing this rock climb. It was a multi-pitch rock climb, and I'm kind of watching my clock and uh, getting a little bit nervous, and we're nearing the top, and we get to the top, and it's like, oh, boy, you know, the last the last tram is coming pretty pretty quick here. And so we just start hustling uh, across and descending, and we, we came over this ridge, and I, I was just feeling like, oh, I bet you it's, we're really close. And we popped over this ridge, and it was the first time we saw the the tram station. And sure enough, it seemed like, you know, we looked at the watch, and it seemed like the last tram was just headed down. Oh, and we were, st- we were still probably uh, half hour, 45 minutes, which is the exact amount of time that uh, we slept in and, and missed that first tram. So that... <laughs> That uh, we it was good because we were kind of uh, able to laugh at ourselves and and certainly 
on the descent down, our knees were hurting and we were exhausted. So it, at times it felt a little bit less funny. Uh, but once we got down to the valley floor, we just had the most amazing uh, sunset. And uh, Mont Blanc was right across the way, and we were just staring at that the whole way walking down the hill. So it uh, it worked out just fine. It was uh, We were definitely tired and sore the next day, but it made me realize that... Uh, you, early bird catches the worm, you know. In the mountains, it's always good to get up early and, and catch that first tram. Yeah, it's sometimes better to enjoy the sunrise <laughs> than the sunset, right? <laughs> than sunsets, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's good. So that that was a hike out. You said 4,000-plus feet. How many miles do you think that was? Oh, there, it's, uh, it's steep around there, so that probably happened in a three- to four-mile distance. Wow, that is steep. But I guess after climbing all day, what a challenge. Yeah, no, and you have gravity on your side at that point, which is uh, always helping you along. But it's, I don't know, I find coming down mountains is much more difficult than going up. It, uh, it just hurts more coming down on the body. Yeah, no doubt about that. Holy cow. Well, hey, Colorado Mountain School, what do you guys have in the works right now? What's coming up? So we're just transitioning from uh, winter season to our summer season. So this weekend, we have our last avalanche education class. We, we teach a lot of three-day, uh, what we call a, a level one avalanche education. Uh, really busy during the winter teaching those, ice climbing, mountaineering. So we're transitioning. Uh, this will be the last weekend kind of of our winter schedule. So rock climbing, we're starting to rock climb. Uh, mountaineering is actually still pretty good in the mountains. May and June are really good time for climbing snow. Uh, in the mountains, the snow is firmer and it's just better. It freezes at night and it's good for climbing. Skiing's still going on. Uh, so yeah, in the office, we're starting to get ready for the summer, trying to figure out how to best market some new courses. We're trying to capture the Estes Park tourist crowd, you know, try to help people have a, a safe and non-committing introduction to either hiking or climbing. You know, I think a lot of people are intimidated by climbing and like, oh, you, know, you were saying earlier, you have to be in great shape. No, you don't have to be in great shape. No, you don't have to be able to do 10 pull-ups. Uh, you just have to have an adventurous spirit and, and be willing to trust someone else for a little bit. So we're, we're working on ways to get people excited and, and introduce people to uh, climbing and hiking in the mountains. So those are... Those are some of the big things we got going on. We're always working on some uh, different marketing strategies, which is kind of a fun, fun thing to be part of in the in the office these days. So yeah, it's uh, it's transition time. Before we know, it's going to be summer and hot, and everybody's going to be rock climbing in t-shirts. It's going to be easy living. <laughs> nice. So let's pretend for a minute that my name has never done it, and uh, I'm coming to you, and I want to try a hike or a climb what do you guys do to introduce people to the sport yeah so our, our our simplest way to get introduced is we have uh we call them half day fun climb hikes we offer them every tuesday and thursday in estes park and every wednesday in boulder this is a half day gets you out hiking gets you climbing uh we include all the gear involved in that and you show up at our lodge up in Estes Park, and we get you outfitted in gear. We drive a very short distance. That's the beauty of Estes Park is everything's quite accessible. And uh, your guide puts up some ropes and teaches you some basics and, and gets, you, gets you rock climbing right away and 
teaches you how to belay so you can be a, a valuable partner to someone. And, uh, yeah, you just, you spend a, you spend a morning or an afternoon just getting the experience of what it's like, what it, what it's like to climb or hike. And the hope is after that, you're itching for something a little bit more. And then we can, uh, show you how to take it to the next, the next step in that process of, of learning how to play in the mountains. So how much does a person need to know to play safely? Nothing, <laughs> nothing really. I mean, you can show up, uh, Never have been outside. You know, I've worked with people from uh, big cities that have never been outdoors. And, and, and again, they, you really just need an adventurous spirit. And, and even that doesn't need to be uh, too strong. Uh, yeah, just a willingness to try something new. You know, a, a willingness to, to try something kind of scary. You know, certainly rock climbing can feel scary. It, it's uh, instinctually, I think it's a bad idea to be on the side of a rock wall, but we use, we use ropes and systems that are, are very secure. So you have to, you almost have to talk your instincts into believing that it's safe. How long does it take to get used to having that rope and, and to learn to know that you can't really get hurt by falling? Oh, uh, one or two times tying into a rope, I think. Uh, climbing up 10 feet and leaning back and, and realizing that, oh, hey, this is going to work. I, I can fall here and I'm going to be caught. You know, certainly for some people, it, it takes a little bit longer than that. But uh, I would say most people gain comfort in the system and lose that fear in one or two tries. Nice. You said you're going to introduce people to these sorts of things over in Lumpy Ridge and Estes. I, I've been around there a couple of times. Can you describe the view across the valley into the into the big peaks of Rocky Mountain National Park so people get a feel for what they could expect there? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so Lumpy Ridge faces kind of south and west. So when you're climbing on Lumpy Ridge, you look over your shoulder and you see Long's Peak and Mount Meeker. And that's just the dominating, uh, the dominating view. Longs is just massive. You can see the sheer face of the diamond on Longs. Then as you uh, kind of move off towards the, the west or to the right as you're looking, you start to see uh, Spearhead, Arrowhead, uh, Chief's Head, uh, Hallett Peak, Otis, Andrews, Notchtop. I mean, all of these large peaks with really big glacial valleys. Uh, each of them uh, have this big valley and all the valleys kind of lined up next to each other. All summer, there's going to be snow on all of those peaks. So it's just, uh, it's a spectacular, spectacular vista for sure. One of my most favorite uh, around this area is, is rock climbing on Lumpy Ridge and, and looking over into the park as we uh, like to refer to Rocky Mountain National Park. Thank you, Roosevelt, for making that happen for us, huh? Yeah, 100 years ago. It's a 100-year birthday this year, celebrating the centennial. Well, Russell, I have to agree with what you said. It's one of the most beautiful vistas around. I, I love climbing up there, getting up on top of the Twin Owls, or just yeah. something smaller even. It, it's just spectacular view. And uh, I think sometimes being in Colorado, it's easy to, to forget how unique and special that really is. But, wow, I mean... There's not much of the world's population that gets to experience something like that. So yeah, no, it really is a special place, and it's uh, you know what, 45 minutes. I live in Longmont, you know, 45 minute drive, hour and a half from Denver. That's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Very cool. Well, 
Does uh, Colorado Mountain School have any special promotions for our listeners? Yeah, so uh, like I said, Kurt, we're really uh, grateful to, to be able to, well, I'm grateful to be able to share and, and grateful to represent CMS. So what we'd like to do is uh, offer, uh, basically bring a friend for half price. Wow. So we offer, yeah, we offer uh, courses uh, and climbs. So courses are scheduled. And they run on weekends and weekdays, and they're usually some sort of skill building. And we also just have private guiding where you can hire a guide to uh, go climb a certain route, the flat irons outside Boulder or up on Lumpy Ridge. So, um, yeah, so mountains are, are best enjoyed with a friend. So bring a friend, and, and the friend pays uh, half price off of what you would uh, normally pay. And we'd like to offer that to anybody listening to that. So call our office, and uh, there's a good chance you'll be able to talk with me on the phone. I answer phones these days. And, uh, yeah, just let us know you uh, heard our podcast, your podcast, Kurt, and, and we'll get you set up, you and your friend climbing, uh, whatever it is you want to do. So do you guys lead expedition trips frequently to exotic locations? We do, and uh, I'm glad you brought the expeditions. The 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 deal does not uh, count for expeditions. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair enough. If that's fair, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, you know, historically we've done expeditions to Aconcagua in Argentina, volcanoes in Ecuador, the volcanoes in Mexico that I spoke of, Alaska. Uh, where else do we do expeditions? Those are the big areas. Uh, we do skiing in Alaska, climbing in Alaska. Our expedition expedition season for Alaska is kind of May and June, and and that's just one of my most favorite places to be. Uh, the mountains in Alaska are just, you know, I, I talked about how when I went to the Pyrenees as a kid, the scale uh, kind of blew me away. When I go to Alaska, the scale is it's just it's magnificent. You look at something, and you you just can't believe that it's. Uh, as far away as it is and as tall as it is. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of our expedition season there. We, we are, we're very fortunate at the Colorado Mountain School. We've got a, a handful of internationally certified mountain guides. It's the highest of uh, credentials that a, a mountain guide can receive. And as an international mountain guide, those folks can go guide in Europe, uh, so like Chamonix, a, a friend of mine, Joey Thompson, uh, one of our senior guys, just got back from ski guiding the Hote route in in the Alps. Uh, so we can we're now going to start poking our our expedition program out into the Alps. So the Eiger and the Matterhorn and Mont Blanc, uh, those are now going to be uh, available, and we're going to start that program. So. I'm really excited. The role that I play in the office as the sales and marketing manager, I, I get to have a lot of freedom of, of kind of where our direction goes and, and being the expeditionary guide myself. And uh, there's something about expeditions, you know, being in the mountains for an extended period of time where you're living out there. Uh, there's something special about expeditions. So we're, we're really looking to expand our expedition program and, and really excited about these highly qualified guides we have that can now open up Europe for us guiding-wise. Okay, I've got to ask, how does a person get a job at the Colorado Mountain School? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, give us a call. 
have a have a resume. Uh, most of our guides are going to be hired. This is not our guide's first job. Uh, so right, I gained that. Yeah, gaining experience in other organizations. Uh, when I first started this type of work, when I left my accounting job, I, I worked at a, a YMCA camp during the summer. So summertime has a lot of opportunities. So I, I encourage people to to start building experiences in the summertime, and then there's other organizations that might do stuff year-round. But, yeah, our guides are, are coming with a fair amount of experience, with a fair amount of training by the American Mountain Guides Association. We're a Colorado Mountain School is a accredited school by the American Mountain Guides Association, which is the, the main training and credential-based organization in the country. We need people with very strong technical skills, experience in the mountains, uh, but really, most importantly, we, we look for guides that are people, people, <laughs> you know, uh, get, a, get along well with people. That's, that's really what our job is, is we, we meet strangers we have to read them pretty quickly to figure out what they're capable of, and then we have to trust them. Oftentimes, uh, strangers are, are my partners and my belayers as I lead climb. Being able to relate and uh, read people and connect with people is, is really important in this profession of guiding. Yeah, we, we want people that are teachers because that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to help people learn, so we really value folks with educational experiences. You know, I ask that because I know that, you know, you've planted a lot of seeds here. People are going to want to pursue a passion, and, and they think, wow, this could be it, you know. And so you gave us a little information about what's required to get into a professional guiding-type position. I appreciate that. What kind of certifications are out there in the outdoors industry that people might need to pick up? Yeah, some of the prerequisites for, for most outdoor jobs are going to be wilderness first aid, and CPR. That's kind of the bare minimum if you're going to be working with people uh, away from facilities. In, in, at our school, uh, a woofer, a wilderness first responder, it's an 80-hour first aid, outdoor first aid course. That's the minimum standard for us. So there's the, the first aid and CPR. That's critical. And then the the technical skills, the American Mountain Guides Association, the AMGA, they train people in three disciplines the rock discipline, alpine, and then ski. So we like to have our guides uh, minimally trained as what's called a rock guide. So it's a 10-day it's a course that covers the basics of not how to climb. You need to come with those skills, but how to guide and how to do that safely and manage people in the mountains. And those guides that I mentioned that are now internationally certified, the highest of that credential, they've they've passed and been certified in all three of those disciplines. That's what made uh, internationally certified. And there's only just over 100 of those guides in, in the United States. So it's, a, it's quite a process to go that far uh, along the way. Certainly not a requirement to, to work and to be a, an effective guide, uh, but definitely very valuable training and something that we encourage our guides to pursue to some extent. And then work in the winter, then you need avalanche uh, education. There's three levels of avalanche education. So those are, those are kind of some of the, the standard 
certification and trainings uh, in this industry. You know, I know there are people out there that just heard everything you said, and they're like, wow, there's a lot to this, and I could make a, a long-term pursuit out of this thing. This this could be a, a lifetime of fun and challenges. Yeah. Very cool. So Yeah, it, it, uh, it has been for me. It's, it's uh, you know... It's it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky way to make a life livelihood. You know, it took me a while before I could kind of consider myself a full time guide, but it's been well worth the effort and patience has uh, been part of it for sure. Well, how does the sport of mountaineering or or I could say winter mountaineering, backcountry skiing, or rock climbing, all the different things that you guys do there at the Colorado Mountain School? How do these sports benefit society or individuals? I think the, the the biggest benefit, in my opinion, is the connection that people feel to wild places. Uh, and I think once someone has that connection, they are more likely to be an advocate to help preserve wildness in this country. Uh, we're really fortunate in the United States. We've got just incredible landscape but the the wildness the the pristine nature is threatened and and it continues to be threatened as we demand resources and we expand where we live uh the number of users coming into the mountains is increasing so we all need to figure out a way to to be good stewards to the land so i I think that's probably the most valuable offering of getting people involved in the mountains is just that connection to wanting to help preserve wilderness. And then I, you know, we talked about it earlier, Kurt, just the, the physical aspect of being in the mountains, the, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, it's, uh, it's good for a person's being, in my opinion. It just helps people, I think, feel at peace. You know, uh, my father-in-law just sent me an article about how this guy deals with the stresses of life by by climbing and and being active in the mountains and and I think it it helps people escape from sometimes stressful everyday life uh so I, I think there's there's value in it that way too to just help us be at peace being a human being these days wow you know you make me think of a question that I want to ask for our listeners so this one's for everyone out there our friends who are gaining all this wisdom from you, Russell. Friends, how big is your world? Is it a six-foot by seven-foot cube in the inside of a car? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How big is your world? And if you're starting to feel a little bit pinched, it's it's time to get out there. We have a an amazing world out there, and you can expand your horizons and expand your yourself just by getting out there and doing some of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, Russell, one more time, how can people get in touch with the Colorado Mountain School or find you? Yeah, so uh, the Colorado Mountain School, we're a, a guide service in Boulder, Colorado, and Estes Park. We've got a a facility in Estes Park and uh, in Boulder. In Boulder, we're affiliated with the Boulder Rock Club. So we have offices. You can reach our uh, offices at 303-447-2804, extension 3, and ask for Russell. Uh, Or we have a full office staff, so you'll always find someone in the office. You can visit our website at www.coloradomountainschool.com or just stop by the Boulder Rock Club and uh, come in and say hi. But those are, the, those are the best ways to find us. And you might just run into one of our guys on the trails or on a climb and 
in this area. Right on. Well, we'll make sure that we put those things in the show notes. But one more time, the phone number was 303-447-2804, extension 3. Correct. And ask for Russell Hunter. Tell him that you want your half off on your buddy because you heard it on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Well, Russell, awesome. thank you very yeah, thank you very much for your time. And friends out there, this has been another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Until the next podcast, get out there and have some fun. Thanks, Kurt. Hi, friends. Help us get the word out about the Adventure Sports Podcast. Please tell all of your friends who love adventures, and also go to iTunes. Give us a rating there and leave a review. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks.